Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, everyone? Happy Friday. Happy Hobby Hustle to you. Hopefully you're having a good week. You're enjoying some football. I'm having a lot of fun pushing out all this content. Hopefully you're following me across all those social channels, especially Instagram. That's where I'm going hard and heavy right now. I got to tell you, I'm really excited to bring this one to you. So I'm talking to my man, Adam Gray, who is the editor-in-chief of the Basketball Card Fanatic, the host of the Basketball Card Podcast. This guy is one of the OGs of the hobby. I've had fun listening to his podcast since I've been back into the hobby. Actually, the first podcast that I've ever listened to, when I jumped back in, I stumbled across his. He does an incredible top 100 cards of his on Instagram every year. Go check out his account. You're definitely going to want to do that. You can find him on Instagram at the real 27 guy. This is just a ton of fun. So what we do in this episode is we dive into the basketball card fanatic, my new favorite piece of content. I signed up everyone. He sent me the first copy free. I went and signed up for all of it. I did it because this content is super informative. It makes me a better collector and investor. And it gives me insights on things I'm not thinking about. I love it. I read it twice. I know you're going to enjoy it. So go reach out to Adam, get a taste of that first edition. You're going to want to check it out. Definitely follow me across all my social channels. Definitely hit the subscribe button if you're new. If you're someone who came over from Adam's audience, thank you so much. I think you'll really enjoy stacking slabs. I think what I'm trying to do is I'm really passionate about bringing together the investors and collectors. There's so much we have to learn from each other. And thank you so much for giving me a chance and taking some time. So without further ado, let's kick it over to the conversation. All right. Welcome back to this hobby hustle conversation that I am really excited about. So just as an intro, I will say when I got back into the hobby, I was doing my research and trying to figure out the content I should be consuming. And one of the first things I did was go to Apple Podcasts and I just typed in basketball card podcast. And what do you know? There was a basketball card podcast and there was one. And that was the host. Uh, I've got the host here and that is Adam. Adam has been such a great contributor to my knowledge bank as I've been getting ramped up in the hobby from just his Instagram account, his connection and insights that he has with other people that I observe, the podcast, obviously, and he just released. I said, and I will definitely like, this is what I believe. It is the best piece of hobby content that I've consumed since I've been back in the hobby. And that's the basketball card fanatic, which he just released. And definitely want to chop that up, talk about the podcast, talk about you're collecting, but without further ado, I welcome you, Adam. How are you this evening? Man, I'm so much better than I was two minutes ago after hearing that awesome intro. You are like the kindest person I've ever met. And if I even had anything to do with anything that you're doing right now, then that makes me feel great about myself. So I'm awesome, man. How are you? I am good. I am just, you know, I feel like conversations like this just give me so much energy and We spend so much time, you know, especially now in our homes, working remotely and the connections that I'm having right now that are special seem to be all related with interactions in the hobby. And so like conversations like this on the podcast, direct messages on Instagram, it's just been fun. So I've got no complaints. We've got sports back. That's always a good thing. I feel like we were living for a while without it. So have you been consuming much NBA playoff uh, content and watching the games since it's been back? I'm a giant jazz, Utah jazz fan. And we had really high hopes at the beginning of the season. And then the season didn't go exactly as we wanted it to. But when everything came back on, 
we started to have these great hopes again. Oh, maybe things will click this time. Maybe they'll work. And they actually clicked pretty well. And I definitely watched all of those games and pulled it up and watched it with my son. And then, you know, we basically lost in a coin flip series with the Nuggets. And that now then the Nuggets go on and they beat the Clippers. And here we are sitting here going, gosh, we could have just, if Michael Conley could have hit that three-pointer, maybe that's us going to the conference finals where we probably would have just gotten drubbed by the Lakers. But I love watching basketball. It's the reason that I collect cards for sure. But between all of the content making and between that, got wife and three kids, a busy career. And like I said, the content, the magazine and the podcast and some of those other things, like it's busy. So I watch as much as I can, but if I'm not watching it with family, I'm probably not, probably not watching it. Yeah. And I picked up that you were a big jazz fan and I will say, you know, that jazz team is, was a fun team to watch. And I think we were all in the hobby attracted to Donovan Mitchell, just based on, you know, him being a young rising superstar, his card prices going up, people like watching him play. But I'll tell you, man, like I just newfound respect for him. I feel like just as an outsider looking in, that guy really grew as a leader. Some of the um, decisions off the court that he was making and allocating his money to certain areas is really impressive. And he just seems like the type of kid you want on your team and be that like franchise corner piece. Um, and then obviously one thing just on the jazz, I feel like just as a Pacers fan that hurt the jazz a little bit was Bogdanovich being out. It, when he was out for the Pacers, it seemed like we always struggled and I would think that maybe if he were in that series, he might have turned the tables a little bit in the Jazz favor. What do you think? Bojan had an amazing season, dude. I mean, I had high expectations for him, and he was way better this year than I would have thought. Second on the team in scoring and easily the third most important player. So in one way, I kind of feel like we should have won the series because if Bojan would have played I think there's no question the Jazz would have been so much better. The guys that they had playing the four, guys that literally were in the the G League for most of the year. But on the other side of things, like the Nuggets were missing two of their starters for a lot of the series too. And so, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes. Sometimes you don't have all of your players. And, you know, if if the COVID thing doesn't hit and he then doesn't have to get his, his surgery at the timing that he did, maybe they could have been better. But that's just how it goes sometimes. It was a fun see. I mean, in the end, we didn't know we were even going to get basketball, mm-hmm. right? And it felt like our season might just totally be over and we may not even have a champion. So in the end, like my perspective right now is I'm just glad that we got to see the teams like play and we're going to have a championship this year. And, you know, like both series, both conference finals, I think are going to be really good. Both of the Boston Miami games so far have been amazing. A lot of youth, a lot for card collectors, especially it's, it's an awesome time to be following. And because we just had that period where we had no sports, I think we're all a lot more grateful than we normally would. At least that's kind of how I feel most of us are. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. And the matchups in the Eastern and Western Conference finals are certainly exciting. And I would say both unexpected with For sure. Denver and with Miami and, you know, we fell, as a Pacers fan, fell victim of the Miami Heat in round yeah. one, and we were banged up. And I thought to myself, man, like, is this just me or is this team just hitting on all cylinders? And it has continued like a buzzsaw. So, like, that team, and I think, is really on a mission. And it's just that Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra combo building this youth team with Jimmy Butler, and they're just tough to handle. So, we'll see what happens in the finals, but I'm with you. It's just fun to have basketball back. Maybe we'll get into this. And I, I don't know what your, what your plan is exactly for the episode, but like, do you have a prediction for who's going to win it all? So I've been saying since even pre, when there was talk that the bubble was happening, my finals prediction was the Celtics and the Lakers. Obviously, it can, it's still possible. Celtics definitely look vulnerable after going down 0-2. But for me, it was... I really struggled and had a hard time not thinking in this atypical situation that LeBron with this Lakers team was not going to leave with another championship. What do you think? For better or worse, I always find myself picking the thing that is not the popular pick. (laughs) I don't like being the guy who kind of 
says what everybody else thinks. But, you know, 2020 has obviously just been this wild year for us in a million ways. In some ways, it seems fitting, obviously, that like LeBron and the Lakers would go win it, especially because of the Kobe stuff, because of Kobe passing away earlier this year. But to be even maybe more 2020, we should get a team to win the championship like the Nuggets, who's, you know, who've never won an NBA championship, that franchise. They're playing so well right now. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if the Nuggets just went out and beat the Lakers. But then again, I can look like a total idiot and the Lakers could go out and sweep that series. I have no idea. But then, yeah, Miami could win it. I just, I don't know. I'm excited to see whatever happens. Absolutely. And actually, I think that's, you mentioned him, and I think maybe that's a good transition into the card stuff. But one thing in just listening to you that I find super fascinating is that you are a Kobe collector. And I think in the last conversation I heard with you and Chris, you were talking about just what you like to do when you're trying to search for cards and everything that's interesting to you right now is going on eBay and looking for Kobe cards. And it's fascinating as a Utah Jazz fan to be so attracted to looking for Kobe Bryant cards because there seems to be a little friction there based on the history. But talk to me about just like, obviously, I think anybody in the hobby and is a fan of the NBA can appreciate Kobe Bryant for everything he's done to not only the game and his on the court play off the court, but also his influence with kid guys like Jamal Murray who are still playing. I mean, it's inevitable. So talk to me about just Kobe Bryant, what he means to you and how you got into collecting them. Gosh, that's such a good question. So the angle that I'll take on this, it's a little bit different than what I've talked about before is in general, I only like collecting cards that both do something to me emotionally and also I feel like are smart buys. So basically when I buy something or I'm collecting something, my head and my heart have to line up. For some people, it's just head or some people it's just heart. And you know, some people just are thinking about making money and they don't care about the player. And some people just care about the player and they don't care about making money. But for me, it kind of has to be both things. After Kobe passed away, I think a lot of us did the same sort of thing, which is, it's kind of a weird word to use, but I think a lot of us mourned. You know, we thought about, we just we realized how much we'd watched him play. And we realized kind of how we got to watch him grow up and we mourned. And I thought about that. And from, I started thinking about things like the fact that I don't think there's any player I've spent watching more time than Kobe Bryant. And I thought about how many things I've heard him say and how many like talks and press conferences I've I've heard him give. And I started wondering like how many hours of my life have I spent with Kobe Bryant, right? And then I thought about how he's like the icon for the LA Lakers, which is funny because the icon of the NBA, literally the logo of the NBA is the guy who played for the Lakers, but Kobe's still the icon for the Lakers, especially for this generation. So as I started thinking about all that, I had this weird mix of both like, heart and mind that said to me, this is a guy that you probably want to own some of his cards. And the more that I thought about it, the more that I then realized we had this weird situation where people were like trying to cap. And this, this sounds morbid and it sounds weird. And I'm sure not everybody was trying to do this, but it felt to me like a lot of people were going to their closets and their drawers and kind of trying to capitalize on that moment. And what that did is it, it really increased the supply of what was available. and there was this weird supply and demand thing where I think that the people who wanted to buy his stuff in the end want to buy his stuff. Most were people who were like mourning and they weren't thinking about buying cards. And then there were all these other cards that were out there. And then there were all these people who were listing cards. So it did this really funny shift where the supply actually increased. And I don't know that the demand decreased or increased with it. And so cards were actually selling for less than, than they, I think would ever again sell for. And that, on the surface seems like a very strange reaction. But when I realized what that was happening, I just said to myself, which cards do I really want to own most? And for me, it was like, I want to own the cards uh, that are the ones that, that I'll never be able to get going forward. I knew that the rookies were going to just take off. But for the most part, I felt like those are cards that are kind of there, especially 1996. There's a lot of them that are out there. And so instead, I focused on things that were, you know, really low numbered, important parallels. And really rare autograph cards, cards that I said, does this card matter 
Like those are the sort of cards that I went after. And, and like you say, that quote from the conversations with Chris, when I go to look for cards, there's a lot, I've got all these saved searches, right? I've got like a hundred saved searches. The two that I make sure that I always search every day or in multiple times a day are the Kobe Bryant searches. I bought a card today, even though I still need money, I still need to be selling stuff right now. I bought a Kobe Bryant card today and like, I just keep buying. I just keep going back <laughs> to the well and keep collecting more. And I probably don't need to because my collection is supposed to be like this, like rounded out thing, but I just keep wanting to buy Kobe stuff. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah, no. And I think I love what you said about buying with your head and your heart and buying the cards that matter. That is like in my evolution and the hobby right now, that those are the, those two things matter to me probably more than anything. It's the satisfaction I get when I get something in the mail that is of a player that's important to me, that is limited, that has a low population. It just feels more special than the flavor of the week, PSA 10 prism base card. And I think anybody who's spending time in the hobby and who's passionate about it and people I talk to on a regular basis, people have that similar evolution. Yes, I think it like I sensed it in your response that I bought another Kobe card. Like, yes, it can get expensive and you need a strategy to make sure you're selling so you have enough money to keep it going. But I think sometimes it's just like you get those alerts and there's those cards that you've been hunting and they come up and you're not sure if you're ever going to see them again. So do you have those types of situations that happen to you and whether it's Kobe or anybody else? Today, literally today, Brett, a guy who's on Instagram who's like one of the preeminent Kobe collectors. His name's Philip Go. I actually don't know what his IG handle is, but something like that. Today, he posts like 10 different Kobe cards. And the one that I saw was the first year of the Prism White Sparkle. <laughs> I have never thought of this Kobe Bryant card before. But I see his image of it and I'm like sitting there looking at it and I'm like, I really want one of those. (laughs) (laughs) And so there's like 20 of them or something. And I'm like, I wonder what the odds are of one being on eBay. So I go to eBay. I see that it's there. It's a BGS9. You know, I go to Instagram. I contact the guy on Instagram and I just bought it. (laughs) I totally wanted it. And again, head and heart. It's the first year of the white sparkle. So it's significant. I mean, if you consider anything white sparkle significant, that one felt significant. It is a great image. I actually collected a little bit of the white sparkle when they first came out because I thought that they were really cool. And I was like, when am I going to find another one of these again? This is great. So I went out and I bought it. And yeah, like the hard part is it has to work in your mind. You really can't. It's easy to like start focusing on what your heart tells you. But like, it's not just that. Because otherwise, I would just go buy all the Utah Jazz stuff out there. And I'm sure that's not the right decision. Right? right. Like, it's somehow both of those things. and I don't know. I've probably gotten more things wrong than I have right in that way. But I think the Kobe buying will end up being a smart thing. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. And I think, like, listening to you talk about, like, Kobe, White Sparkle, like, that's a point, like, I think I just want to hammer home to anyone listening to say, like, it doesn't always have to be about the rookie cards of these guys. Like there is so many sets and so many products and so many parallels and things that matter. And I think that was another turn for me. It was like, man, like, you know, there's these chrome refractors and, you know, it's the second year of this guy, but the pose and the way the card hits, like, it's really cool. So like, I think that's one thing I've learned. And it sounds like, all the OGs out there understand that, but it's kind of like not the, obviously the rookie cards will always matter probably most, but then there's this, there's iconic sets that these legends are a part of and these cards are really cool. So like that's part of the navigating, I'm sure Kobe buying process for you. Am I right? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one thing that's important to point out is a lot of us have this saying that we use over and over again, which is buy what you like. But the problem with, and so I can't say buy what you like and then also tell you what to buy. I can't do both of those things, right? Like that's not like intellectually honest. That's not a genuine. You have to say either thing. But this evolution that you talk about, Brett, I think is really smart. I think most people get into the hobby and then they see what other people have and they're like, well, that's cool. I want to have that thing. Well, what other people have in general are things that are more mass produced and a lot have 
And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's people who collect for a long time and that's all they buy. That's all they're interested in. And if that's what they like, I think that's what they should do. But I think you're right that a lot of people after a while sort of realize, oh, everybody has this stuff. And this stuff is always available. It's always on eBay. There's always 10 copies. There's always a way for me to go get some of this. Maybe that's not so cool. Maybe I want something that's like, hard to find. And then after I find it, and then a few other people have it too, then other people will come up and who will want it and they won't be able to get it because just me and these other guys have the copies of it. To me, that chase of finding something that other people might want down the road where there's only a few copies, that's really cool and a lot of fun. And I don't really understand anymore like what it was like being at the beginning, but I see new people getting in and who are doing exactly what you just described. And if that's what they want to do and that's what they want to do long-term, I think they should do it. But, I, but for me, it's not really compelling. Even if it's compelling, and this is the interesting part, if it's compelling in my brain, like I think this will increase in value, it's still not enough for me because I don't want to just buy stuff that's going to make me money. Like I have to, it has to be both smart with, again, with my brain and Yeah. And I think maybe that's a good launching off point into the basketball card fanatic, which you just released that I really love. And I love, I love it from a couple different perspectives. One, like it provided me knowledge and insights on sets, cards, people that maybe I just knew at a surface level. Like, and I'll tell you, like one of the coolest parts of me reading through it is I got the chance to see everyone's Instagram handle who wrote all those articles. And I just immediately went and followed them all because they were people that I just had never really met, but had been referenced in conversations by other people in the hobby. So like the connection points, like Anthony cards with coach, like he immediately direct messaged me and I was talking to him about his Bowman article. And I was like, dude, like this is like stuff I've never even thought about, but like have seen pictures and stuff. So like that component is super cool to me that like, I'm reading this content, I'm being educated, then I have access to these people that I can go reach out to. So I thought that was cool. And then I think the other thing for me is just like, it's like this knowledge, this knowledge that is all in these like page of these articles that like outside of like me going and doing the research, it would take me forever to go do it all. So like having access to that in like one magazine is super cool. So I think like, I'd love to know First of all, like you putting it together, I know it's a ton of work. Like what was your inspiration for piecing it together? Man, first off, thank you for saying all the things that you said. And then I want to address like probably 10 different things that you just said. And I guess that's why we have this, a lot of why we have this, all right? But you know, for me, there's a few different reasons. But the main reason why I wanted to be able to create this thing was that I think there's a lot of awesome content out there right now in the industry. And there's a lot of different things that we can spend our time doing. But to me, there's kind of this really missing niche that we've had for a long time that's missing, which is high quality, really smart and really passionate writing about collecting. So the tagline to the magazine is basically it's content for the passionate basketball card collector. It's not for people. It's not necessarily for people who are looking to sell. Although I suppose you could probably use a lot of the data within the magazine to sort of think about selling or maybe like how you could be more profitable or whatever. It's about being a collector of basketball cards. And so everything that from all the people who are, who are in it are people who I asked to write. And the reason that I asked them to write is I felt like each of the people were really passionate. And some of them have made a lot of money on cards, but they're passionate about cards. Like they care, you know? Like that's why it's called basketball card fanatic. Fanatic implies it's something that is meaningful to you. It's something that you're obsessed over. It's something that you have passion for. And I also like, I love writing and I've loved writing for a long time. Although I'm an accountant, a big part of my job is writing. And I love the idea of compiling a bunch of passionate thoughts and articles, thoughts of my own and articles from other people and putting it in a format that somebody will pick up and look at and go, you know what? this is awesome. And this is something that like, I look forward to showing up in my inbox every month. And so that was the idea. And that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to make every issue better than that first issue. And I think it turned out really well, but time will tell and will let us know if other people kind of feel the same way. Yeah. And I just love like in your opening remarks, like you make this statement about 
nothing is wrong with profit, but, and you talk about like, this is for the collectors. And I think like, just like that statement, I don't have it in front of me of how you wrote it. But like, to me, like you said it in a way that was like a connection point between these two different groups of people who might not be into sport card investing and might just care about the cards and have been collecting cards forever. And you've got this other group that maybe is all about sport card investing. And maybe once they start doing that, they learn that, wow, this hobby is really cool. And wow, I want to get really deep in the weeds. So like, I've always felt like as I've monitored and seen these different groups and what, how people operate, like I've always just seen this opportunity of like longtime collectors connecting with new people entering the hobby. And like this piece of content to me, like as someone who has been, who's re-entering this year and getting educated, like it provides like me that opportunity to learn from people that have been doing it for a long time. And I was trying to figure out like, I'm like, man, I just signed up today for the subscription. And I was like, this is going to be dangerous because I'm going to start reading these articles and then going down rabbit holes of these sets and these cards that I hadn't even thought about before, but people are educating me on it. So like, did you have like, I, when you stated that, like, did you have this in mind that you're going to have people from like all different walks of life in the hobby reading this article. I'm just curious on like the collectors and the new people invest mentality when you were putting this together. Yeah. I'd like it to appeal to as many groups as it possibly can. And I think you're right that there's this dichotomy between people who are both pure, pure, pure collectors and people who are both are pure flippers. But there's like the spectrum where most of us fall probably somewhere in the middle of that. Right. Most of us aren't just one way or the other. I know I am, right? Right? Like I am definitely, I think most people would say Adam's a collector. Also, I don't like, like it when my cards decrease in value. I like watching cards go up. I like making money on cards. And I think mo- that's how most of us. So yeah, the magazine is directed, you know, is for all different groups. Ideally, every single issue would have something that is ultra modern and something that is ultra vintage and something that is like in between, like in the 90s. And that's how the first issue was. That's definitely how the second issue will be too, where we kind of represent all group of the hobby. And if you look at the, you may or may not have noticed this, but if you look at the front cover, the, the words basketball card fanatic above, so that I'll, I'll just describe the cover real quick. The cover is the Kobe Bryant tops rookie card with some things built around it that let you know it's a magazine and kind of behind his head is the word basketball card fanatic, but basketball card fanatic this is the part that you might not have noticed. It's made up of cards. There's cards in the letters and there's everything from, uh, you know, a 1971 Kareem Abdul or Lou Alcindor is, is his name in that one to a Luca Prism Silver and a Luca Prism card. And that's what I love, right? Like I want people who are enthusiastic about cards like you clearly are to read about a 1948 Bowman set and go, oh, wow, like that was really cool. You know, even though you've never considered buying it, it's never been your thing. You know, you're probably going, wow. And the great thing about that article, by the way, is that was written by a 21 year old and he's got this great passion for this set. And, you know, I don't think he'd ever written anything like that for a magazine before, but he wrote and he did a really good job. And then, you know, I looked it over and edited it and we went back and forth a little bit. And in the end, I think it just ended up brilliant. Like, I think that's something for that kid to be really proud of that he got to be part of this. And, and his article is like one of the ones that's been most commented on, believe it or not. And it makes sense because, you know, 21 year old kids. So anyway, that's my long way of saying, yeah, whether you're vintage, new, you know, pure flipper or collector, like the idea is that you should read it. I forget what I wrote in the intro and in the opening remarks, but, I, but like the idea is I'd like everyone who reads it to become a smarter, happier collector with more of a long-term perspective for the hobby. And if we can accomplish that with the magazine, then for, you know, a handful of people, then I think it will be a success. I love that. So I'd love to just maybe like walk through some of the things that were written. I think first one for me is whenever there's anything card related that I can stop and I'll say, Hey, Caitlin, and Caitlin is my wife. I'll say, listen to this. And that happened when I was reading in my chair and the thing that I mentioned to her because I knew she it would get a reaction was the <laughs> comment on the uh, Luca article 
by G and he does the Luca show, right? Yeah. So it was about, you know, his collection being, you know, worth maybe a half a million dollars, but don't tell my wife. (laughs) (laughs) And I just was like, I couldn't stop laughing and I had to tell her and my wife is like, she is so supportive of my passions and that she knows these cards are important. But like, I think that like really gave her perspective for like, what's possible with this if you do the right thing. So like, I'm sure when you read through these articles, you maybe had similar responses. Like when you read something like that, of something that you're kind of the editor to like, what's running through your mind? So first off, G is, and he knows this, he's maybe like my favorite person in the hobby. I love, like, I love him. He, a lot he, of people say that. He's the reason that I went to national last year in a lot of ways. And he and I have had, he and I have had some actually really interesting experiences. I could sit here and talk for an hour. <laughs> Seriously, like, he's just a great guy. As I read his articles, I was going through and I was thinking about him writing it. And he, he got so into it, right? Like, as soon as he wrote the first one, he's like, I got to think of what I want to write next for this magazine because it was so much fun for him. But, you know, he really like had a hard time narrowing or like putting a bow on the article. He sent me like four or five versions of it. He's like, I need to change this. I need to change that. And one of the things I think he was struggling with is like, do I say the thing about the half a million? Because he's more pure collector. And you could feel that throughout his piece. Like his piece was about how, you know, maybe in the beginning it was about like, being right about something. Maybe in the beginning it was about profiting, but as he's gone along, he's really become this like super fan and it's part of his identity, right? He is really tied up in this thing. And what's interesting about that is the things that he bought in the beginning. Remember how you talked about the evolution of collecting? The things that he bought in the beginning were more of the more mass produced ish sort of stuff. And then as time's gone by, like you can tell he's just wanted to become this ultimate Luca collector. And he has right? He owns one of the best, if not the best, NTRPA. He owns a ton of the gold, like important cards. And that's what this is all about to him. And if you would have told him at the beginning of it, hey, by the way, dude, there's a chance for you to cash out in a couple of years at a half a million dollars sort of profit. He would have told you in a heartbeat, yes, I will cash out for that 100%. But now that he finds himself here in this moment, can't. And that's because he's a collector right? He has the passion. He gets it. And so that's why I actually put that article first out of all of them is because I felt like this article really like epitomizes what I, how I feel. Cause I'm kind of in a similar, similar position as G where like, I never intended on having a collection that would be worth what it's worth, but it is. And now, but I still am not selling it because somehow the cards ended up being worth more to me than the incredible value that they're worth out in the market. So yeah, dude, I love that article. Yeah. And maybe like, well, like I have a question for you just unrelated to the, the magazine, but touches on some of those points is the selling and not being able to sell the cards, but like inevitably, like, and I've noticed this through your Instagram, like you reach this point and I'm always guessing when I see this and people operate where you're unloading some cool cards that like you've had, but you're probably trying to go take that money and go spend it on a cooler card to you at that time. So like for you, like selling is such a part of moving up the ladder and getting the cards you want. Like, how do you like make the decisions on what goes? Is it just because what's out there is something that you need? Well, how do you walk through that process? Cause I know it's hard for me. It's hard for almost everybody. So the reason this is a great question that you're asking. The main reason that I do the top 100 countdown is to put in order the cards by value. But completely separate from that idea is my own ranking of how, I, how important the card is to my collection. And so when a, when a card comes up, the example, the example that I give is the Steph Curry Gold 2012 Prism. I had a chance to get that several months ago. And when it popped up, I was like, man, heck, like I have to have this card and it's freaking going to cost so much money, but like, I have to have it. And so then this exercise begins of like, which cards are worth the most in my collection, but are the ones that I can most afford to let go of. I don't want to let go of any of them because I don't own any cards that I don't want in my collection. I don't bust wax. So I never have stuff that I need to unload. I only have stuff that I want. And 
So like I sit there and I look at my list and I'm like, Hey, how am I going to get to, you know, X number of dollars? And you have to put out some, you know, you have to put out the stuff for sale because you're not going to, you're not going to necessarily sell everything that's out there. So you put out the stuff that's like the most bearable to let go of. And then when I hit the dollar amount that I need to, to then go and buy the stuff. So I basically agreed to buy the stuff, but I don't have the cash for it. And I said, I will come back with the cash later. That's kind of how that worked. And I think because people know me, they're like, you know, they're like, okay, yeah, that's, you're somebody who I can trust. This isn't something that's happening on eBay. This is something that's happening separate on Instagram or through like a personal connection or whatever. But then, you know, like that's why I keep the top 100 largely. That's one of the reasons, like I want to have an idea of where the value on each card is pegged so that then when I need the cash, I can go sell the cards and go get the card that I really care about in my collection. Oh man, that stuff was tough though, because like I had to let go of, there was a Jordan triumvirate illuminator that I had owned for four years that I loved. There was a Rodman Jambalaya. There was a KG exquisite auto patch to hundred from before. And there was, there was a bunch of other really nice stuff where I was like, that is a card that I love and I don't want to let go of it. But you know, I'm just a normal guy. Like I don't have unlimited funds. And so to buy a card like that, that's what I kind of have to do to go get it. Yeah. I think I'm sure many people listening can relate to that. And it's so difficult. I think we all go at least once a day, go look at, or whenever we have a chance, go look at our PC and those cards are in there for a reason. And it's like what I, part of my evolution is like, I started like taking the cards that I didn't really care about and just putting it in a pile. And I started to think to myself, I'm like, do I like, what do I do with these cards? And I was like, do I time it and try to sell these cards when I think they're going to like be the most? And I just said, no, like, I'm just getting rid of these cards. And I know if I can take, if I get rid of these cards, my PayPal is going to be loaded and then I can go search for cards and take that money and put it into something that's really important. I think that like thing, that like process that you just talked through is just such an important part because Chris has talked about this, but like cards pop up and you're just like, you're, it's that moment in time. You're like, I really want this. Am I ever going to see this again? So you got to be quick and you got to be nimble. And Luckily, platforms not like eBay, but like I talk about this, just building relationships on Instagram, like it allows you the benefit of saying, hey, I want this, like, can you hold this? I'm going to make some moves and people get that. So I think like anyone listening, that's like, just take that insight because I think it's really, really important. If you don't care about cards that are you're holding on that you can get money for, and there's cards out there that you want, and might be more limited, like, don't look back, sell them. Like I've sold so many, I probably, I started off buying so many cards and I've been selling so many cards. That's what I've primarily been doing. And it's like, none of the cards that I've sold, I've, I've regretted. And I think people have this like feeling of attachment to them, but once you sell them, you don't look back. I, you are so smart, man. Everything you just said is something that I would just say, just put my name by it. I absolutely agree. When you let go of a card, it is really hard sometimes. But if you know in the beginning why you're letting go of it, that you're acquiring something else that you really love, that's the best feeling. The lesson to learn here is don't buy stuff you don't like. Because when you spend your money that you, and we don't all, none of us have unlimited funds. Right. You know, if you spend money on, your hard-earned money on something that you don't want, that's the worst moment, right? Yeah. But if you've bought something that you really like, and then letting that, then letting those other cards go is totally worth it. The other thing that you do that's way smarter than me is, I'm so tied to my cards that I can't sell them until I need the cash. But what you just talked about where you can have like a cash reserve that's ready for you when that moment hits where a card is out there, that's the far better thing. Because I think most sellers would prefer to, obviously prefer to deal with somebody who's like got their cash in hand, who's ready to like send it over that minute. And some dope like me who's like, dude, I really want this card, but I need two days. You know what I mean? Yeah. Inevitably though, it's dangerous because every card I want right now is like it, everything inevitably. Like if there's a card under a thousand dollars right now, it's like, I'm throwing a party. Everything I want is over a thousand dollars. So inevitably I've got cash on reserve, but then like the way like the internet works and their stimulation, like you got like these shiny objects that are constantly in your <laughs> face and you have, you've got to like block them out and be like, no, why did this notification hit? I don't really want this card right now. So I feel like it puts me even almost in a more difficult spot because I know I have cash on hand for it. 
and it's just, I got to block out these cards that like, maybe I wanted a month ago, but now I'm like, what was I thinking? You know, dude, you hit it on the head again. Like you've got to be so deliberate in how you spend your money. What I did today with the Kobe white sparkle is not how I normally am. Right. But it really like, it's the first card that I bought in like, in at least a few weeks, maybe a month even. And I was like sitting there looking at that card on Instagram and I was like, I really do want that. Like I need to see if I can go find it. And the fact that there was one out there, I just felt like I have to have it. If I don't get it now, then I'm not going to get it. And I feel like it's a smart buy. So yeah, I'm going to do this now. Totally. Now jumping back to the issue, one of the, there's so much I could talk about, but one of the things that like, got me to think about things differently that I really, really loved was the article on Galactics, A Journey Through Space and Time. And like that revolution as a product in Galactics, like, you know, when you're jumping back in, there's so much to learn and there's so much to dig into with all the product sets, parallels. And revolution, I think when I jumped back in was something I was looking at, but like didn't gravitate towards. And I knew what the Galactic was. But then like reading that article, I was like, God, these cards are amazing. Like, so like going back and I was like looking at guys I liked on, on eBay and then realizing like, wow, like these cards are really hard to gem and wow, like the ones that are gemmed are like really expensive. So like, I think like when I was talking about like dangerous component of it, like that got me itchy to like go look at it. But it also like, was validation for me where I like might've seen it in the past and be like, galactic cards are really cool, but put it out of sight and out of mind. And then this article really brought it back to life for me. Yeah. For me, here I am like editing this article by the guy's name is Jack Henry Rhodes and his Instagram handle, Mike Cabongo, who's a point guard. I think he's out of Texas from maybe a decade ago or something. I'd seen this guy right on blow a couple of times. And I thought, and he like his, I didn't always agree with him, but I thought his writing was really good. So I reached out to him and I was like, dude, just so you know, I would love it if you would write something. And he's like, I would like to write something on Galactic. And I was like, do you have a passion for Galactics? And he said, yes. And I was like, let's hear what you have to say. And his article is so cool because he talks about like where the prototype of the design came for. And he talks about like what the first revolution line was like and why he likes it, and why he likes Galactics, and how rare they are, population stuff. And then he interviewed somebody who bought a, another, who bought a really important card from the set. And I thought, this is so cool that we have articles in the magazine that are like people going out interviewing other people to get their data for the magazine. And what's cool about that, especially is he's like referencing, he referenced an important cell in Galactics history, which I generally don't love completed listings, but it's kind of all we have kind of the best that we have. But the reason that I loved it on here is it's both on eBay and the person who bought it kind of signed off on the article. Like he's contained within the article. So that, I thought that article was awesome. I'm glad that you liked it. Yeah, totally. And one, when we were talking about just cash in general and expensive cards, I think inevitably like out of all the hobby content I've consumed, especially on the basketball cards, it seems like whenever people get going, the conversation never fully is complete without talking about the PMG sets. And I think, man, like I sent Chris a Reggie Miller PMG that was listed on eBay. And I call like Chris and like people like you kind of the OG collectors. And like, he broke down, like, you got to be careful and you got to like, that you got to make sure the car's not manipulated and ask these questions to the seller if you're interested in it and like this and that. And I think like that set is like not only like iconic for people that are in the hobby, but it seems like there's just so much manipulation with it. So like talk to me maybe about that article. Um, Black Griffin Cards wrote that one, but just maybe the article and just PMGs, what they mean to you and why they're so important in the hobby. Yeah. So the first thing that I'll tell you is that Black Griffin Cards is both the guy who helped design the cover and the writer of that article. The article is called Wyatt's Art. And so he's actually going to write a monthly column for the magazine. He's the only one who is going to write something monthly. And all of them will be called Wyatt's Art. And then he'll follow up on his set. His next set, I won't spoil the surprise, but you're going to read it and go, he thinks that is art? 
And because it's not thought of the same way, but the way, I mean, everybody thinks the PMGs are, right? You hear it all the time and you see what they sell for and all that stuff. I shouldn't say everybody, but like, we all know what it is. And like you say, it's like this set that you almost can't talk about basketball without talking about this specific set. What's funny is I actually, going back to the Galactics, I only own one Galactic card and it's because it was given to me. I don't own a single 97, 98 precious metal gems. I actually own the Jordan out of the Metal Universe Championships set, but that's a totally different, totally separate set. I like that the first issue and all the issues will have a taste of a a lot of things that I like and the things that I don't like, right? I think that's the way that this should be. This isn't Adam pumping all the things that Adam has, right? And there needs to be pros and cons talked about each. But Kevin is his name. I think Kevin did a tremendous job explaining why the PMG set is art. He talks about what the base cards look like and how when you take away some of that color from the back of the base card, and you add just the blank, the uniform color, how it loses some of what it had before, but why that's important from an artistic perspective. He talks about pieces by Andy Warhol and Roy Lichtenstein and other really famous artists of the time and how arena design drew on them for inspiration in creating the set. And when I read it, I'm sitting there doing the exact same thing that you're doing, Brett, which is I'm going, gosh, Maybe I do want some of these. You know, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I thought about this in the wrong way. And by the way, I've always liked it. I, in fact, I sold the writer, Dennis Rodman, from the set a couple of years ago for way less than I should have. <laughs> That's what everyone always says. <laughs> yeah, because they've blown up in value so much. But, you know, the reds, they're, they're limited to 90. But the fact of the matter is, you know, they might be limited to 90, but the number that are actually in existence now is probably in the 30 to 40 you know, it's just these cards aren't, and maybe it's even less than that. I might be like way too high on that. You just can't find the cards. And so we look at it from today's lens. Oh, number to 90. It's not that rare. No, it's crazy rare and you just can't find it. So I think the cards are rare. The cards are important. And there are other vastly more intelligent people in the hobby that will tell you that it's, you know, even a more important set than I'm giving it credit for. But the fact that you can compare it to these sort of different pieces of art is why this article exists in the magazine and going forward. I think, I think people loved this article. You'll see other articles like it. each month. Yeah, very cool. And I want to first, like, probably not going to cover it all, but want to just shout out all the writers that contributed. Everyone's article hit for me. Like, they were all fantastic, really were. And that's why I'm really excited about what's to come with the magazine. But I want to put a bow in the magazine by talking about just the finale of it and how cool I thought it was to talk about compare and contrast LeBron, Kobe, and MJ in the perspective that you had when you were looking or comparing all of their cards and populations. Maybe don't go into complete depth because we want some people to go in and dive in and read that, but like talk about maybe the construct of that article, why you put it together and what you're trying to get out of it. So each issue will have probably two articles by me. And one will be related to the card that's featured on the cover. And then the last article of the magazine will be something that I'm thinking about today that I think is really interesting. The idea of a market cap is something that is like kind of a new way of thinking about cards, at least for most of us. And it's possible now to pretty easily like price out what cards are in different grades and then to look at a population report and figure out what the market cap for something is. So the question that I asked, this has been probably six months ago. I was actually talking to Chris underscore HOJ or HOJ underscore Chris, I think. And he's one of the smartest guys in the hobby. He's the House of Jordans guy and the guy who's behind Card Ladder. And I was saying to him, I was like, you know, man, I really would be interested to know what the total market cap of LeBron's rookies are. Compare that to like the total market cap of of MJ and the total market cap of Kobe because it feels like LeBron's are really high and I'd love to own one, but like it feels like it's really high. So that was sort of my hypothesis. And I wanted to test it. I wanted to see if I was right or not. So what I did is I go to Beckett's website. And if you haven't done this before, I would recommend anybody to do it. You can go to the population report and you can just type in basic some basic term, right? So I type in like 2003 is the set, like is one of the words in the set column or search bar. And then in the other search bar, it asks for player and I type in LeBron's name. So every 2003 LeBron pops up. 
And I do that for 2003 LeBron, 2002 LeBron to capture his XRC. I do that with 1996 Kobe's and then 1984 to 1986 Jordan. And I get in a complete population of all of their cards for that era. Well, I take that and then I go through, and this is the hard part. And I did my best to go in and price each card at each grade. There's issues with this because some cards have been regraded. You know, for example, the LeBron exquisite rookie, there's just, I think it's actually over a hundred cards are in the population report, which doesn't make sense because there's only 99 of the cards, right? But the idea was I'm going to take this data and get the very best market cap that I possibly can on the three. And when I did that, what I found was really interesting, which was that if you take the, the LeBron market cap and you compare it to the Jordan and the Kobe combined, like LeBron's market cap of his rookies is almost 2x what Jordan and Kobe is mine. And for me, that's really interesting. I don't know what you do with that data, to be totally honest with you, because like LeBron has exquisite rookies. LeBron has autographs and rare inserts and all of these things, whereas the other guys have so many fewer cards that you have to ask yourself like a conceptual question. You know, do you think that the market cap should be the same? Do you think that the market cap should like equalize four rare things? And then I asked the question, you know, from a baseball perspective, do you think the Mickey Mantle rookie card should have a higher market cap than like the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie? I started just like thinking through all these things and conceptually it puts you in this really interesting place where you wonder like, you wonder what matters and what doesn't. I think that way of thinking about things is how you can best define what is iconic. And so the next issue, and I gave a little teaser for this, the next issue will take the 10 cards that a group of experts determine is, the the group of experts will sort of average out as the 10 most iconic cards, and it will compare their market caps. And what I'm eager to find out is, when we think about a card being iconic, does that also lead it to having the highest market cap? And I don't know what the answer is. I'm just excited to see what happens and I'll present it in a way that hopefully people like and hopefully they think it's, you know, hopefully they think it's entertaining and educational. Maybe it's just a bunch of hooey and people think dumb. I don't know, but I'm interested in it and I'm interested to sort of like sort of share the findings with everybody and I hope it's fun for everybody. Yes, totally. And those are the types of insights and articles that you're going to be getting if you check out the Basketball Card Fanatic. And I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the content that's ahead. And I want to just say thank you for curating it because I feel like we need more curators in the hobby. And this is the type of content that I think matters and will all make us better. Before we maybe go, I got to just find out from your perspective, what are like some of those cards that maybe like, I guess two or three cards that you are like, are on your list that you're like searching for. You've got maybe alerts up for it that are just like the ones you're hunting right now. Um, that if you could get them in the mail after a purchase would make you really, really happy. There are a couple of really rare Kobe cards that I kind of have my eye on. They're rare enough that if I, if I mention them here, it probably won't serve me well. So I'll probably... Okay. But the other thing that I'll tell you that I love, and I told Chris this too on his show, like I think that they've kind of caught up, but some of the vintage PSA DNA stuff I think is really interesting. And I just love the idea of like finding a rare card, a rare vintage card that is signed by somebody who is either not around anymore or who won't be around for a long time or won't be around for much longer. Um, These really iconic, important cards that are signed by some of the greats of the game where those greats of the game only have a few cards. I think that's just a really interesting way to collect right now. Those are probably the two segments. Which cards are on your list? I'm interested. So I am like in the process right now of developing that kind of next level list of basketball cards for me. I think just from a collecting perspective, like I'm a big which is kind of, I hear this a lot with like, with the Luca article, like, you know, he's a Kings fan. And there's that story around like the Kings not drafting Luca and like, (laughs) geez, draft Luca. Like that's super cool. Like, and for me, it's like when I jumped back in, like, and I've been following him in college, like I'm a huge John Morant fan. Like he's a new, he's rookie, but like, I'm so like into digging into his cars. I was looking at his galactic and part of that was like, 
you know, when we were having the games before the playoffs where, you know, they're trying to the eight games, like I was watching everything. And it was like when the Pacers weren't playing, it was like, what is Memphis doing? And like, I was sitting in my kitchen right behind me and Memphis was playing an important game and Ja passed the ball to Triple J before he got hurt. Big dunk to put them up ahead on the game. And I was like cheering like a madman in my kitchen. I was like, what am I doing? Like, this isn't the Pacers. So like, it's that, like that connection I have with just his style of play, like him, like, you know, small school, like something to prove chip on his shoulder. Like, so from like a new player perspective, I'm really into looking at his cards, his limited stuff. And so I've been sniffing around that. The other like angle too, I've been looking at is just the rookie cards of all of the Pacers whose jerseys are retired. Roger Brown, Mel Daniels, Reggie, um, you know, Slick Leonard. And so like, that there's looking at their cards graded and like trying to figure out, all right, if I'm going to buy a Mel Daniels tops rookie card, like what should my expectations be based on the grade, knowing that it's vintage. So it's like, I'm in that rabbit hole right now where I'm trying to like make the right decision. So, but then there's like this whole piece of like all these nineties cards that I grew up with and how I never really dug into like, the real, real cool cards. And now that I have money, it's like, well, maybe I should go dig in and try to check out like some Allen Iverson cards and stuff like that. So it's like, I'm trying to like build my process right now, but I know that's the game I want to be playing because I, it's fun. I love the chase. I love finding things. And I just think that's the fun part about the hobby. Dude, I love your enthusiasm. What I'll say is like so much of the hobby and its enjoyment is around studying. It's around learning. And for you, you know, right now it's around like making this show. It's around building your network and connecting. And, and like, that's all amazing. And you led with this. That's all sort of social important things that make the hobby great. The biggest reason in my mind why the hobby has blown up the way that it has is because of the social aspect of it. COVID's really important too. I think that was a huge part of it. But the fact that we have Instagram and Facebook now to connect with each other with our collections in a way that wasn't possible back when we all first were collecting in the 90s or whatever, that is awesome. And, you know, you doing the show and thinking about what you want to collect and all that stuff, that's part of this hobby. It doesn't have to be, this is where people get it wrong. People just are like, I need to go buy something. I need to go get something. No, what you need to do first is you need to like figure out what you want to buy. And that process could take ages. And that process is part of what's great. So if I was you, like, and I was from Indiana, and by the way, I, or not, not necessarily from Indiana, but I went to the ABA's reunion a few years ago with my dad and went to Indiana and got to learn a little bit about how much people there love their basketball and love their Pacers and stuff. And I'm not even joking when I say this, Brett, like it was one of the highlights of my life. Like it was so much fun to be there and to learn about some of that history. And I'm a big ABA and basketball historian. At least I kind of fashion myself as that. I believe that's what I am. If I was you, when I had that sort of history, one thing that I would think would be amazing is remember how I was talking about that PSA DNA thing? Uh-huh. There are only so many Pacers, original Pacers cards that really matter, right? They start in 1971 tops, you know, then they continue thereafter because as you know, the Pacers become part of the NBA. They merge over from the ABA. And so you get Pacers cards from 1971 forward. But if you were to say, you know what I want is, like, this is just a crazy idea. But if you were to say, I want an autographed copy of each of the original Pacer rookie cards from 71 to 75, there can't be more than maybe like 15 rookie cards in that period uh-huh. that are signed. And my guess is there probably aren't more than 15 to 20 in the PSA pop. A lot of people don't know this, but PSA DNA has its own population report. And so, you know, like, let's say you wanted to go get like a Billy Keller. Nice call out. I was thinking about him as you were, as you were like, yes, I was talking, I went to Billy Keller's shooting camp growing up. He he used to do shooting camps and just make a ton of money off of families and kids like me. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually got a picture with Billy at the ABA reunion. Dude, that story is the greatest story I can ever tell you. It was amazing. 
they thought the long story short is they thought my dad was a player. And so they let us in where all the players were. And I got to spend an hour where there were no other fans. There were players and the players guests, and they were all just like mingling. And everyone's like, who's this guy? Right. <laughs> One guy asked my dad if he was the guy who invented the alley. And I am not lying. I am totally not lying. My dad, my little five foot 10 dad walking in amongst artist Gilmore. And I told Rick Barry that his rookie card was from 1971 tops. And he told me, I don't have a rookie card. And I was like, yeah, you do. (laughs) I've got so many stories to tell about that, but yeah, let's go back. So if you were to say, I want to get an autographed rookie from each of these great guys in the PSA DNA population report, there's a very low number for each of those. So finding those would be like a crazy chase, Mm -hmm. not crazy expensive when you find them. Actually, some of them can be really, be fair, but a lot of them were like pretty modestly priced for what they are. Those guys won't be around forever. And when you get done with it, in my opinion, you've got something that's like a museum piece. You've got something that's like worthy of like real admiration and love and is worth far more than the majority of the stuff that's being made these days. Again, that's just my opinion. You know, I would look at that. The next thing that I would look at if it was me is I would look at, you know, the next era of thing that could be really rare and really interesting. And you've already identified it. It's the late 90s the rare serial numbered stuff you know you could call kyle and see if he can see if he'll part with his dale davis you know, <laughs> uh, he's not getting rid of any of that stuff i already know that he's not and that's what's great about kyle is you know kyle has that same sort of like he's just a person who loves the hobby and loves sort of the purity of it and you gotta tip your cap to that but if you said i want to just find like a reggie miller crazy rare insert from 96 to 99 and you identified the specific insert that you wanted and then you figured out what you had to do to get that, that is a real pursuit. And the issue wouldn't be the money for you. The issue would be how much, how you would find it. You'd go hard. It would be such a challenge. And once you found it, you'd get that thing in the mail and you'd be like, (laughs) I spent 20 hours finding this thing and it was worth it. That's the best. I love that perspective. I will say I didn't mention George McGinnis earlier, and I feel bad by not mentioning him. So I just, when I'm talking about that Pacers pantheon, I just want to make sure I include him, include him so I can sleep well at night. But it's kind of like the Reggie Miller PMG. It's like, I looked at that thing today and he's in the iconic blue Flojo Pacers uniforms from like all of his classic moments. And I'm like, God, why can't he just be wearing the white in this? And it wouldn't be as important. (laughs) So it's that connection. And I just saw the card and it was like, this reminds me of all those Nick games. This reminds me of hitting the shot against Jordan. Like, so like, it's like, yeah, it's that connection with those memories you have and putting that and applying them to cards. But I think that's why this is so fun and why it's so important. And I think what I wanted to get out of this chat is just, letting people know that it's a lot more than just the flavor of the week and the new prism base 10 card, but there's like stories behind it. There's passion behind it. And there's so many incredible people in the hobby who spent so much time doing it that I think it's all on us to try to find those people read content like your magazine and just start connecting with people that might seem like you're out there outside of group of people. Cause the more engagement and communication we have, the better we will all be. And ultimately, like my platform, I just want people to be educated because I want people to stay in the hobby. I don't want it to be a fly-by-night thing. So the more we can do things like this, I think the better for everyone. Well, again, I'll just tell you, I think your perspective and your um, enthusiasm is really special. And I'm with you. I want people to, to stick around. And the interesting thing that I think we all know is true is not a lot of people won't. There's a lot of people who over the last six to nine months have gotten in for reasons, you know, that are purely financial. And a lot of those people will leave and, and some people will move in and some people will move out. We're not going to always have a period like we've had this last six to nine months. We're going to have ups and downs. I've been here for 30 years, right? I haven't ever left. It's been the lone, really important hobby of my life. And I've loved it. And it's provided for better relationship with my dad, better relationship with my kid. It's when I'm having a long week at work and things are stressful. Like there are literally times where I'm like, I need to pull my cards out. I need to have like moments where I like can just sit and like be my introvert self and like just look at my cards and 
go through and put lists together and, and be creative around things. And it's the best hobby in the world, man. It is, I've said this a million times and, and I hope if people don't remember anything else I said today, like I hope they remember this, whether you have a dollar budget a week or a hundred thousand dollar budget a week, it is still the best hobby in the world. You can still have a meaningful experience with it. And that's the other thing that I hope people get out of this magazine is there are people who wrote for this like G who are balling with his half a million dollar Luca collection. And then there are people who don't have hardly any money at all. And they're all loving the hobby. And that's because they don't just love it for the money. They love hobby. And hopefully between your podcast and my magazine, we can make the hobby a place where people love it for what it is. I love that. Great perspective. Adam, where can people find you on the IG or wherever else? What do you want to plug? And also people can get a first edition, right? They can just email you to get a taste of the basketball card fanatic. Why don't you tell people how to get that? Yeah. Thanks for giving me a chance to do that. So Instagram's at the real 27 guy. If you want to DM me there, I'd love to send you the first magazine. And the thing that I've been telling people is you don't have the financial means to be able to, you know, to be able to get the magazine after the first one. The first one's free, but after that, it'll be $10 an issue or $100 for the year. But if you don't have the financial means for it, if it's too expensive for you, send me a message. Let me know a little bit about your circumstances and we'll figure out a way to, to still get you the content. But yeah, email me. The email is basketballcardfanatic at gmail.com. You can email me there if you want to let me know about your circumstances. Or if you just want that free issue, just DM me at the real 27 guy. Go do that. I highly recommend you gotta, we gave you a lot of teaser in this episode. Go reach out to Adam and go read it. Adam, thank you so much for your time. We'll have to have you back on and chop it up again. Anytime, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Wow. How many nuggets did you pull away from that one? I know I pulled away a ton. Those are the types of conversations I love to have on the Hobby Hustle. We're going to keep them coming. Definitely hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Follow me across all social channels. Go reach out to Adam. You're going to want to slide into his DMs at the real 27 guy on Instagram. Man, oh man, that is good stuff. Take it easy. Enjoy the weekend. Take care of yourself and others around you. Happy collecting. Happy investing. Talk to you real soon. Thank you.